What do the first 15 minutes of a conversation with a new person actually look like? What is the 80-20 rule as applied to sustained eye contact? Why fill our chests with air moments before an approach? Today, in our third interview with Nick Turner, he breaks these first 15 minutes down into five unexpectedly discrete stages. Small talk, qualifying questions, statement of intent, romantic qualifiers, and lastly, the use of a process called time bridging to set up the date itself. Finally, how do we move past the fear? What does it take to command your feet to approach, open your mouth, and speak to someone you've just met for the first time? I am Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. Hello and welcome to another episode of Look, Just Tell Me What to Do, where myself and Nick Turner will discuss the fabulous world of dating. This is episode three, and the title of this episode is The First 15 Minutes, which is pretty self-explanatory as it describes the first 15 minutes of meeting a new human being and how to get a date, male or female. Just want to make that real clear. We're not just talking about men. All right, so with no further ado, we are going to move into the episode. Great. Thanks for having me back. So today, uh, now that we've kind of covered some of the mindsets involved about like, you know, what are the things that prepare you to be successful? We're going to cover what does the practical application of those mindsets really look like? What do you do in the first 15 minutes when you meet somebody, uh, you know, at, could be at a party, could be at a grocery store, on the streets, social events, meetups, whatever. So in other words, I will never meet anyone ever. If you don't go outside, then no. (laughs) Well, now they have apps. So yes, you can, I'm sure you can meet hundreds of people online and have them convince them to come over. That would be difficult. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of online dating. I think it takes the human element out of it. Well, I take the, uh, I think it's the Groucho Marx approach, which is anyone that would date me is not, is not someone I should date. That's probably a, a mindset that might cause you problems. It's, well, it's glorious because I can just be in my solitude 24 seven. Hey, if that's what you're into. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all for people that are, you know, non-romantic or asexual. No, and just... I'm not actually, it sucks, but I'm just trying to be self-deprecating here. <laughs> Is it working? It's definitely self-deprecating. Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, Nick, you are going to tell us about the first 15 minutes. And I can say with a lot of experience that like, I, I'll, I'll talk about my first 15 minutes with yeah. when I meet a new human being. I have this experience with a lot of women and actually lots of people in general. I think I walk around with kind of a dour look and I'm kind of shut down and I don't mm-hmm. emote a lot. And you talked about that in your previous episodes, how important it is to emote and to relate and to ask questions and kind of be alive and present in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I don't do that so well for some reason. You know how when you turn a computer on and the lights start to, like, in, especially with the larger the old towers, I guess people don't use those anymore, but you'd see like light come on here and here and here and here and here and here. And all of a sudden all the lights are on. Well, there's an opposite of that where the lights seem to slowly go off. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I'm talking to people, I get this palpable sense that the lights are kind of like, oh, 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 yeah, this person's off. Okay, and conversation's over. And I'm usually about three minutes into the conversation and I realize this person isn't making eye contact. They're not asking me any questions. They are completely disengaged. They're looking around the room. They're looking at their watch or their phone and they're just kind of gone. Yeah, and that's I'm like, extremely common. And I'm like, okay, all right, that's next. It's so common that I'm very actually very anxious to hear about this first 15 minutes because I would love to improve my first 15 minutes, not just with women, but with the human race. Definitely. And that's a really a common experience. I think that especially today, as you always know, you can go on your phone and talk to your friends and you have all these events going on. People generally, maybe it's possibly because we're in San Francisco, but they have very busy, active lives. That does seem to lower a lot of people's patience Mm -hmm. in conversation and if they don't feel like they're going to get something out of it or they're not getting the right signals then they can tune out so tell me about these first 15 minutes nick so i'm going to kind of give a a timeline breakdown but first i want to say a couple things in the fastest sense of the 15 minutes it's someone that you meet as a stranger which is a very difficult barrier to jump over because you have to differentiate yourself from all the other people that might be approaching them on the street you have to put in a lot of work in a very short period of time whereas if you're in a social situation where you know you're going to see the other person again then maybe you kind of want to spread out these 15 minutes over an hour 
if you're, you know, you're at a party or you want to spread them out over, you know, multiple meetups, if it's like a weekly thing in the event of, you know, you know, you're never going to see this person, then you want to put your best foot forward and do everything you can mm-hmm. really in those first 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is it 15 minutes and not, you know, 10 or 20 is that what I personally find is there's kind of like a long tail after 15 minutes. You'll get a lot more infrequent success. You'll have a lot more people that just don't want to feel like they want to meet up or they end up you know, flaking, which is just the, the contact kind of goes dead. You, If you have a five minute conversation or even to some degree, a 10 minute conversation. Mm-hmm. After 15 minutes, they're not kind of hooked. If they're not interested, mm-hmm. then doing 20 or 25 doesn't make too much of a difference. I but see. certainly this could be if you're one of you is waiting for an Uber or waiting for yeah. a bus, you can do this in three or four minutes and you just kind of have to compress everything. You'll have, you know, less success overall, but at least it's better than not talking to them at all. As the great Wayne Gretzky said, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And how do you know when someone is hooked? It's really a sub. It's really kind of like a subconscious intuition. It's eye contact. It's them smiling as you're talking to them. It's them asking engaging questions. It's them showing enthusiastic interest and in actually, you know, mm-hmm. meeting up with you. It's also as you start to throw out a uh, sexual. And when I say sexual, I just mean it could also be called romantic. At least for uh, I get it. for straight people, it's it's that kind of male female vibe that you don't have with your friends or family. Members. Romantic vibe. Yeah. And that'll really help you put your best foot forward. One thing that they teach us in therapy school is to match the body language of your client. Because in, in the therapy world, building rapport is like 95% of the therapy. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have rapport, there's no chemistry. In, in therapy, if a client gets pissed off at you, it's actually a good sign. It means they care about what you say. Mm-hmm. And then you can do a reparative thing where you work through you know, what pissed them off. And then suddenly they are like, let's say if their father or mother pissed them off for years around some similar issue that came up in the room, suddenly you can be a nice person instead of being dismissive and shitty like their parents. And they have what's called a reparative experience. Anyway, it's, it's kind of a tangent, but no, that's really helpful. Uh, I really like, and I know that it's um, just in terms of the human to human interaction. Mm-hmm. I really look at Fritz Perl and Gestalt therapy. They do have some pretty powerful reactions and kind yeah. of transformative experiences through that. And that's something I kind of try to model myself. In addition, I used to work in inpatient rehab for addiction. You would have patients who would come in off a lot of drugs and they'd be really upset. You developed an inherent understanding that their reactivity had nothing to do with you at all. And that's something that I try to keep in mind when I'm meeting a new person. You never really know why somebody is reacting poorly to you. Maybe they've had a bad day. Maybe they're coming off of drugs. Maybe they're on a drug. Um, You don't know. But one thing that we would do is that we would go through very distinct steps. You could do something called matching their breathing. Mm -hmm. So you you breathe the same rate that they breathe. You do a lot of nodding and you do a lot of paraphrasing. You Mm -hmm. do whatever you can to lower the reactivity down notches. And you kind of divorce yourself from your own prejudices about the moment and just go through a series of steps, which I think is what you're talking about today is going through a series of steps and not taking stuff personally and just kind of like, okay, I'm trying to develop a rapport here. I've got to thicken the atmosphere between me and this new person. Yeah. Basically, is that? Definitely. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And that's something, a lot of the things you mentioned from therapy are also things that I cover with clients Uh is really focusing on, you never know how their day's been, or maybe they just got out of a relationship. I think that timing is actually one of the biggest and usually underrated or not talked about aspects of dating in general is that you can have two people who are otherwise perfect for each other, but because one of them's in a place of their life where they're not looking for a serious relationship or the other person is looking to settle down, just because the timing is off, you know, maybe if they met five years later, mm-hmm. they would be matched up and be a great pair. But which, if, the, if the timing's off, that's all that matters. Which often happens. And there's movies about that where someone like, you know, when Harry met Sally, like, yeah. I mean, it's back in the eighties, but you know, it took them like years before they actually got together. Anyway, back to your 15 minutes. Yeah. Another thing that you thought was interesting that we do focus on in the first 10, 15 minutes is sometimes people think that like, oh, because this is so planned out or because there's such like a method to this. It's interesting that you mentioned there was a method to recreating a report in therapy because you always hear allegations of like manipulation being thrown around. But I think, you know, in some ways, all communication is a manipulation. It's all you're putting your own behavior and your own words out there in an effort to interact with the world in a certain way to some sort of goal or preferred outcome. The biggest thing I focus on is honesty, is that as long as you're honest and transparent about 
what you're interested in, what you're looking for and what you're doing. Even though it's you know a studied thing that you've maybe done many, many times, it can still be fresh for each interaction. And I think it can still be you know an ethical way of in interacting with others. So the first 15 minutes, I'm gonna kind of break this down as a timeline. And the first 30 seconds to a minute is small talk. I think small talk is a important social construct. One of the things that most beginners or just people who are not good at approaching others is they tend to stay in small talk for two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. I often coach people who their kind of expectation is, wow, if I get into a conversation and I am you know, nice and I'm respectful and I do like 15 minutes of small talk where I don't seem weird, then that person should want to go to coffee with me and, and go on a date with me. <laughs> and that's just, it's not really realistic, but many people have a hard time getting out of small talk because small talk doesn't allow for rejection. It's really hard to reject someone from just small talking with you because they're not making any overt moves that would prompt you to reject them. Meaning that small talk doesn't give people enough traction to really say yes or no. Yeah. And it also doesn't give them enough information other than you're somebody that can small talk. And so if you're small talking with somebody, if they're not rejecting you, isn't that good? <laughs> I mean, no, because again, it's kind of the, the old adage that it's better to be loved or hated than like not thought about. Okay. So you don't want to be this kind of neutral mass that they don't have any strong feelings about. You need right. to be doing things that are polarizing. You need to be doing things that are engaging. So if you're just bland, then mm -hmm. that bland does not build attraction. Can you discuss what polarizing is? It's, you know, it's kind of a statement and attitude where you're not scared about potentially offending someone or potentially escalating too quickly or, you know, potentially doing something that could cause somebody to have a strong emotional reaction to what you're doing. Just avoiding being kind of neutral and bland and amorphous. This is a sidebar. I have a problem engaging in small talk. I don't like it. I don't even really understand what it is. Yeah. I know that it's mostly like, I suppose, talking about the weather or gosh, this bus is crowded. But whenever I'm engaging in quote unquote small talk, as my understanding of it stands, I feel like I'm being fake. I feel like yeah. I don't really mean this because I'm just making small talk because I want to meet you. And I just feel so ingenuine. Yeah. I feel like the person, at least I project upon the person who, to whom I'm speaking, that they pick up on the fact that I'm being ingenuine. Yeah. That I get immediately uncomfortable because I'm already talking about something that I don't actually believe. Well, practically everyone hates small talk. <laughs> like no one enjoys small talk. That's kind of why we then why do we board. do it? <laughs> it's weird. We do it because it's safe. Uh, it's not safe if no one likes it. it. No, it is safe because you're not going to have someone, you know, if you bring up politics or religion, right. even if people like talking about the topics, there's a potential for a conflict. So small talk is about safety. That's why in a, in a business environment, people rarely break out of small talk because they realize I don't want to risk causing some sort of discomfort or create a problem if we can just kind of stay in small talk. But nobody, nobody enjoys it. Okay, so how do I get over my fear of my, my sense of being dishonest when I'm speaking to somebody in small talk. I'll, I'll kind of say two things. One is you just get out of small talk. <laughs> uh, I always say small talk is kind of like a appetizer or salad, like a very light salad, but you really want to wait. I'm a meat and potatoes guy myself. And I think that the meat and the potatoes of the conversation is deeper. It's more personal. It's more relevant to you. And it's always good to get out of small talk and into a deeper, yeah. because that's putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. I guess I feel like small talk isn't really even a salad. It's more like trash on the street. It just, it makes me sick, but it's like the ginger before. And it's piece of not, it, it's chomping on the chopstick or something. So let's, like let's that. reframe small talk here. <laughs> okay. Because I'm looking through small talk through the lens of meeting somebody romantically, I view it as an opportunity for them to not have to spend a lot of brain power in the conversation, but to give them a chance to kind of, to take you in, to take in your energy, to kind of give you a head to toe look and kind of figure out what is your body language? which what are you doing also it's an opportunity for them to throw out whatever they were thinking about before you started the conversation uh -huh. and kind of become focused on you because normally when people are walking down the street you know they're thinking about their laundry they're thinking about that movie they saw they're thinking about an interaction they had with a friend when you especially you know on the street when you approach them and say hi my name's Nick they it takes them a little bit to even figure out what is the context of this interaction yeah. to kind of offload the things that they were thinking about so small talk is really good for that because it's not it's not challenging okay so since we're talking about the first 15 minutes yeah. I'm, I feel it incumbent 
upon you to explain what immediately follows something as simple as, hi, my name's Nick. And I would love to hear some examples that you have used of that first few seconds or one minute or whatever where you're making small talk. And I want to know literally what you have said. Sure. A lot of it can be very situational. So easy topics are oh, uh, what are you up to today? And then they'll say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going shopping or I'm, a, I'm on my way to work or I just got done with a date, whatever they're doing. And you can just talk about, you know, obviously if they work nearby, you can talk about where they worked or, yeah. Okay, hold on. I'm just trying to picture this. So there's Nick. He's at Trader Joe's. Yep. I spend way too much time in Trader Joe's. So I set a lot of my, my fantasies about, my nightmares really about these things in Trader Joe's, which means I really need to get out more. But so here's Nick in Trader Joe's. He sees a human yeah. and he goes over to her and says, hi, my name's Nick. And she looks up, I presume thinking, what, what the fuck? Um, yeah. Why is this person? Who's Nick? And, and she's looking, she's squinching her eyebrows. Yeah. And then Nick says, so what are you up to today? I can't in yeah. my wildest dreams imagine getting a positive response from that. Yeah, you'd can be you, surprised. Well, can you can you give us some examples? I mean, really I, like that's literally an example is you'd be surprised how social people are. So, this is another thing that I can kind of talk about is okay. that there is this very large vast space that happens as you give that introduction before small talk even starts. Okay. And that is all of these nonverbal qualities. Okay. It's things like your eye contact. Uh-huh. It's things like the micro expressions and tension in your facial muscles. Okay. It's your body language. It's your vocal tonality. You know, does your voice sound strained or does it sound relaxed? We are mammals. Uh-huh. And we've got millions of years of evolution. Yeah. Uh, behind a lot of the structures in our brain that are not even accessible consciously. So I think like a huge part of judging whether this person is a danger. Mm-hmm. Man, there was actually a really, really interesting study that the voices of people, I think the study was with schizophrenia. With schizophrenia and a couple other mental illnesses, there are a change in the voice and the tonality of the voice mm-hmm. that you can actually pick up on, even if they're just saying, you know, hey, my name's Sam. You don't consciously realize it, but subconsciously you realize potentially this is something that requires a little bit more focus because it'll be less predictable than other conversation. And so what do you see people do when you say, hi, my name's Nick, and what you doing today? What kind of reactions do you get? I generally get positive reactions, but that's only because I've built a skill set up on all of these other qualities. So I think here's like the thing to remember. When somebody meets you, they have no idea who you are. So if you are, say, Brad Pitt, let's say you walk into a, a bar in the middle of nowhere and maybe nobody there immediately recognizes you as Brad Pitt. More than likely, and I know that I'm using this example, it's very possible Brad Pitt's uh, very awkward in person, but... Uh, but you, you, you still get the sense that when he's introducing himself to people, as he's talking to people, that he's going to be engaging. He's going to be confident. He's going to get more of a positive reaction than somebody who is extremely awkward and insecure and doesn't have all these reference experiences of people treating them well. And so how do you develop? You develop that through conscious effort. You develop that through practice. You develop that. That's kind of what I was talking about with all the mindsets is these are things that you have to do in the field. You okay. know, when I say in the field, we mean out there talking to yeah, real people. Like assuming attraction, all those things we're talking about. I yeah. am still curious and I'm going to press you one more time. Sure. And I'm going to see if I can get an answer out of you. Yeah. What kind of reactions do you get when you walk up to people like that and just boom, start a conversation? Can you be you get really, really positive? Re- you, what you, do they actually say? They'll say, oh, I'm shopping for a dinner party. They'll say, I'm, I was just, I was just grabbing something and maybe give you a look. Like you get a wide range of responses. Ultimately, you, if you're doing this well, because most people don't spend the time on all these qualities and mm-hmm. these skills, you're going to get a better than average response because you've put in a lot more time and thought and effort and practice than the average person. I, I get that. And I'm just, you know, you're used to this material, but yeah. I think people who are listening to it aren't. So the reason I press you for very specific examples is because I think people are probably listening to this podcast with an air of disbelief and like, no way am I going to walk up to somebody in some random place because they're going to pull and they're going to do something. They're going to have, I mean, they're going to have a really adverse reaction. So the reason I'm pressing you for details yeah. is because it, what you're saying just sounds so unreachable, at least to me. Sure. I think again, you know, I, I mentioned my own kind of personal journey uh-huh. that I was doing this. I was approaching people. I was going out, um, 
to you know bars and clubs, but also in the middle of the day on right. the street at a bookstore. And I went you know over a year with very little success. So right. I've had hundreds, you know, t- probably now I'm sure thousands of approaches where they thought I was weird. They just didn't talk to me. They walked away. Right. They they had bad reactions. Right. You know that's something I think everybody needs to make a personal choice themselves of if this is something I want to learn, if I want to turn my life around, if I want to have, if I want to feel comfortable in dating, if I want to have the confidence that I, if I see someone that looks interesting to me, I know that I can come up and talk to them and be comfortable with it. Then you are going to have to pay the price of there being some amount of people out there in the world, these strangers that thought, oh, that 30 second conversation I had with the guy, he was kind of weird. Yeah. Okay. And I'm comfortable, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are, I'm sure there's potentially going to be people listening to this. They're like, wait, that guy is a whole, yeah, 10 years ago, there's a whole uh, contingent of humans out there who have put Nick into this category of this uh, madman. Yes. I'm (laughs) sure. Yeah. Who preyed upon me while I was, uh, whilst uh, perusing city lights. Well, I think we can also give a couple more examples. Okay. So you might ask, you know, what, so what are you up to today? You can ask, oh, are you visiting the city or, you know, do you live here? Mm-hmm. If you see that they have, you know, a bag from a nearby store and you recognize the label, you can say, oh, did, did you get luggage or do you get shoes from that place? Right. I, I've been there before. I was thinking about getting something. And you just kind of start the normal small talk interaction. Mm-hmm. of you know what are they up to situational stuff okay now i will say that um, especially in the very like stranger environments where they weren't expecting someone to talk to them sometimes you will get a response of i'm not sure what's going on here you get people who approach you all the time for petitions you know will you sign this for this political thing or or who oh, want to sleep with you yeah or uh that's more infrequent than you'd think but you also get a lot of people who are like trying to sell perfume people who are like oh come and try this product and they're trying to rope you into their little stand or you're just a crazy person if they give you a look and they're kind of responding in a way like they don't understand the context of the situation then you can give them context by saying something like hey i was you know shopping for dinner tonight and i saw you and i thought you looked cute I just wanted to come say hi. Okay. That gives them a little bit of context. Some people start with that. That's kind of like the first thing that they say. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that you only really need to say it if the person seems perplexed. You'd be really surprised how many people, if you just say, hi, my name is Nick, they'll be calm as well. Yeah. They'll kind of read your own comfort in your body language and they'll be like, oh, cool. I'm just going to start this conversation because I think a lot of people wish they could be more social and yeah. they don't always have the impulse to start the conversations themselves. Right. So when it happens to them, they kind of think like, oh, this is kind of like an opportunity for me to Talk. you know, see where this goes. And it's also a little bit novel. They don't kind of want to know like what's the deal. They want to see where this is going to go. There's kind of this twisted, perverse aspect of like oh i want to see if this right. guy if this guy is going to if he's going to blow himself out of the water if he's going to be really weird like i want to know where this is going to it's go. almost like you're violating a cultural norm and it's kind of titillating yeah i saw actually witness an interaction maybe three years ago there was this guy walking down the street he didn't look nuts he just looked i don't know what it was but he was talking to literally every person who walked by him male or female he muttered to me muttered to talk to her and he was doing this thing where he walked there was a woman walking towards us he did this thing where he kind of leaped to the left and mm-hmm. looked at her and then she kind of caught on and did a little jump to the right. And then he jumped to the right and she jumped to the left and he jumped to the left and then she jumped to the right again. It, they were doing like this weird dance yeah. and then they just parted ways. And that was the entire interaction. And yeah. I was like, do these folks know each other? And I'm no. like, I don't think so. I think he was just doing a thing and she did a thing. And, and, so, and I walked along thinking I am missing out on a whole universe of social interactions like yeah. i am so lost i walked away feeling like like i wanted to take a piece of take a get a spoon and take a piece of that guy's brain yeah. and put it in my head <laughs> and what's so interesting about that is that was so memorable to you three years later yeah and just imagine if that was your life every day oh my god maybe not to that degree i actually saw somebody at dolores park he was doing a combination of things one he was yelling at the top of his lungs i think he might have also been on some uh, substances but he was he was nice at one point he was like following a dog but he was like walking like a dog and he was kind of barking at the dog like, alongside <laughs> one of the dogs at the park 
But then he also sat down at a group of like 13 people and just kind of had a conversation and just kind of hung out with them. The people I was with actually were like, oh, he must know them because they couldn't even fathom the idea that this guy would just walk up to a group of like 13 people sitting down on a blanket and like they had a good reaction to it. It's amazing. But I could definitely recognize, you know, he did not know them because he did that like to another group and like even another group later on. You know, from his point of view, Hey, he's just having a good day in the park. He's meeting people. He's enjoying meeting new groups. He's being free. And it's like, that can be your everyday liberation. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm, I can hardly conceive of it. Personally, it's a big difference for me just feeling more comfortable with, I, if I see somebody who looks interesting, and I also feel the same way, even if it's not romantic. If I see a guy that he's got something interesting on in his clothing, or if I just overhear him talking about something, then there's very low barrier to just saying, hey, you know, what's up? Because you've been a little bit desensitized, you're yeah. just more comfortable with it. In comparing it into my own life, mm -hmm. you know, prior Mm -hmm. to this period mm -hmm. man it's a big difference mm -hmm. um, it's a lot more freeing it is a lot more liberating and it's yeah. a lot more enjoyable just in general yeah i've had a couple of uh, lift rides with drivers who um, said they were jamaican mm -hmm. the energy was so much warmer and yeah. comfortable and they were just talking to whomever and they would this guy he rolled down the window this morning looked down and said what kind of dog is that <laughs> you know and i said it's a great day he turned around and he, he like fist bumped me like awesome yeah. you got that and it was just it's a completely different energy field I and, do. And I, I also, I love Jamaicans. I love Jamaicans. They're amazing. It's great. I'm going to go to Jamaica and become transformed and become a better human being. You definitely Let's can. do it. Let's, let's, let's go there. I'm down anytime. Anytime? I love Jamaica. Yeah. Let's buy plane tickets after this. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, I have a jujitsu, I have a jujitsu competition next week, which yeah. I cannot miss, but right. after that, we'll discuss. So getting back just briefly with some of the things I mentioned about, about again, vocal tonality, mm -hmm. uh, eye contact and everything. I always say that you're only as strong as your weakest link. Mm -hmm. And in terms of an approach in dating, that link is linear in time, mm -hmm. which means if you, based on your grooming, your eye contact, your body language, if you kind of disqualify yourself in the first five seconds before you've even said anything, then it's really hard to make up for that with good small talk or good conversation. So you really need to get through that first period and have kind of those nonverbal fundamentals down before you can get to the next section, which is small talk. You've got to get your small talk down before you can go into deeper conversation. You've got to get that down before you can go to the next piece and so on. So you're only going to have success up until your weakest spot. Now, I contact is super important. I generally think people need to work on it. Like they need to go out of their way to hold eye contact with people. I like to give the 80-20 rule. The other person should be breaking eye contact 80% of the time and you should be breaking eye contact 20% of the time. Because it, when you lock eyes with somebody, one of you has to look away first, right? And the 80-20 rule is just kind of showing that you're comfortable holding eye contact with people. For a lot of people, they are usually the ones who break eye contact. And that's something that really needs to be worked on because eye contact is one of the most, you know, they say eyes are the window of the soul. And the more I've been doing this, I think it's completely true that it is one of the strongest things to generate rapport, to make someone comfortable with you and to just introduce sexual tension. I mean, you can do a lot by a three second held up piece of eye contact, right? Yeah, that sounds excruciating to me. You know, the next part is body language. Mm -hmm. there, and you could, by the way, there, there are amazing TED Talks on body language. There are amazing books. But just in general, you want to be relaxed, not having a lot of tension. One of the things I do personally, I really focus on like tensing up my shoulders and scapula and everything and then making sure that they consciously relax afterwards. Mm -hmm. before, I, before I walk up to someone, I always fill my chest up with a lot of air, mm -hmm. which helps feel if there is any tension being held in my chest. And it also means that the first thing I say is going to have a little bit of air behind it. You know, the, one of the worst things to do is walk up with no air in your lungs. And the first thing you say is just kind of, it kind of peters out. Also taking up a lot of space with your body language is really important. And also like not doing things like crossing your arms over your chest or even putting your hands in your pockets is bad. You know, you want to just have your hands kind of resting comfortably at your side, which is something that you'll do around your own house. But if you're in a strange place or out in the street, amazingly, people who are like relaxed at their house, just, they, you know, they, they, they want to fold up their arms. They just, they have a lot of bad habits. Yeah, I feel lost. My hands feel lost when I'm talking to a new person. Yeah. Like I, should, I feel like I should be holding a cigarette, <laughs> anything, but having to deal with my hands wandering about. And oh, and with my, with a voice, mm -hmm. uh, I like the book, I think it's by Dr. Roger 
love uh, like Set Your Voice Free. It, that one is about half singing, half voice. I would recommend everybody does karaoke, build up a powerful diaphragm, get used to being able to kind of sing in front of people. It, it, karaoke is great. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Improve your chances of dating, not by getting sloppy drunk in front of 100 people and singing something from the Beatles, but from just doing karaoke to open up your voice. There's a really great exercise where you, you tilt your head down as far as possible and kind of start with a low hum, then slowly raise your head up until you're looking up. And you, you really feel, I'm going to attempt to do here so it doesn't sound hopefully too bad on the podcast, but as you go up, you'll notice your voice relaxes. And having relaxed vocal cords is really important for transmitting the fact that you're comfortable, that you're not coming into the conversation with a lot of tension. Because ultimately, you're sending out a ton of these subconscious signals about how people should treat you. The people who don't do well in dating situations, it's actually because they're sending out a bunch of signals that they don't even realize saying, hey, please ignore me. Please don't be attracted to me. Please you know, don't treat me well. And when you get rid of those signals and you replace them with signals that say, hey, I expect to be treated well, I expect that you're attracted to me, I expect that this conversation is going to go well, then that's what happens. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. That would, of course, explain why drinking alcohol and smoking pot can make somebody is such a social lubricant because a lot of those th qualities you described seem to do, do seem to happen yeah. when people drink and smoke weed. I personally advocate that everybody, when they're trying to meet people, does it sober. I think I because, because ultimately that can reduce bad habits. It's a little bit safer. You know, your cognition is all there. But at the same time, I, it's important to be able to have that type of comfort and relaxation without the aid of these substances. Like you've got to be able to do it just because you really are comfortable. I still think that the initial five to 10 seconds, the cold approach, I honestly feel that for me, that is my largest barrier. Yeah. I don't feel as though I personally have it within me to approach strangers on the street. I really just don't think I can do it. Yeah, but you can. I know you say that. Yeah, no, a lot of people feel the same way. For people who have kind of more extreme anxiety or barrier, it's usually helpful to do kind of like a mini version of exposure therapy. So starting out with them just asking someone if they know where the nearest Starbucks is or asking if they know the time or asking you know if they know where like Union Square is if you're in a kind of touristy area and just ask the question and then that's it. A step after that is actually starting out with an introduction. Hi, my name's Nick. And then having them respond and then saying, do you know where the closest Starbucks, you know, again, kind of going into the same thing. Despite the fact that you have a cell phone with a GPS on it, I need to ask you this question. Hey, my cell phone died and I can't tell where the closest Starbucks is. I was supposed <laughs> to meet my friend there. With my luck, my cell phone would probably ring at that exact moment, but turn it on silent. <laughs> so it's a little bit contrived, but the idea is just that you're putting yourself out there and go. Even if you told people after you talked to them, hey, I actually knew where the Starbucks was, but I'm actually trying to become a little bit less socially anxious by talking to people on the street, what are they going to say? They're going to say, oh, wow, I'm really proud of you. Like, good job. Thank you. know, It's so cool you're doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the response people have. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the fear is, is misplaced. So let's move on here. How do you break out a small talk and what are the next steps? So you're doing 30, 60 seconds, which is usually about two or three questions. You know, again, how, how's it going? It's such a beautiful day today. You can also share your own stuff about if they say I was going shopping, then I'm I'm out meeting friends. A lot of people think like, how do I, what's the segue? The thing is you don't need a segue. Conversations are spontaneous and you can kind of lead them in interesting directions. As soon as you feel like you've had a back and forth and they're actually a little bit engaged, you'll lose momentum if you stay in small talk. So you just move on to what I like to call qualification. Qualification could also kind of be thought of as screening. You're qualifying the person based on some quality that you validate them, that you value them, and that they meet some of the qualities that you're looking for in a partner. So I advocate everybody come up with a list of six qualities, six qualifiers that they really want in a partner. Now, these are incredibly hard to come up with. You'd be surprised. Some people, not only does it take them hours, but it takes several kind of back and forth revisions to come up with their list because there's a couple kind of rules. One is that it can't be something that they will not answer answer honestly to. So even if you have this quality that somebody I date has to be an honest person, you can't ask somebody, are they honest? Because obviously they're not going to tell you. And I think a lot of other qualities that are like challenging to the ego, you know, you can't ask somebody, 
well, some people will answer yes to, I'm, are you awkward? But like, if you ask somebody they're awkward, even if they are generally awkward, they're not going to answer to that. So it, they've got to be qualities that are falsifiable, things that, that things that some people will answer yes and no to. The next is that it's got to be at a minimum screening out 50% of the people you talk to. You know, if you ask them, do they like comedy or are they down to earth? Do they, you know, like to hang out with their friends and like to have fun? You're not getting a clear signal because almost everybody will answer yes to those questions. So what kind of questions are you talking about? Things that are deep in important and personal to you. So if you are someone who really likes to cook and you want to make sure that when you're dating somebody, you're not constantly going out to eat or eating junk food or something, then you might ask, do you like to cook? And then you can kind of get into a conversation about what you like about cooking. If you're somebody who really likes adrenaline sports, maybe you'll ask about skydiving or wakeboarding or something or, you know, riding your motorcycle. If you are someone that is polyamorous, you could ask, are they jealous? Are they open to non-traditional relationships? If you're somebody who likes to go to the club, you know, you really like to just dance, then bringing up the fact of, you know, would they rather stay in on a Friday night or do they like to go, you know, to a nightclub and get crazy? So let me get this straight. I'm on the corner. I'm, I'm talking, doing some small talk and out of nowhere, I say, are you the jealous type? Yeah, it's great. Just like that. Yeah, it's perfect. Wow. Well, it's great because here's what it does. So there's a lot of good tangential benefits that you get from kind of jumping into qualification. One is that you immediately, this is a little bit more specific to, to, to the, from the male side of the, for the male, female, normally there's this sense that guys are trying to prove themselves. That's where you get a lot of bragging. People are like, oh, I'm talking about my car, my job. They're trying to impress someone. So this kind of flips the script and instead is asking what does this other person, what are the qualities this other person have and do they meet your standards? And this is not in a judgmental way, like you're not trying to give any attitude. I think that people who don't meet your qualifiers and don't meet your screening, that's fine. They're just a different person. They have different preferences. Not everybody's compatible with everybody. So it's not really a matter of judgment, but it is a matter of knowing this is what's important to me. It also communicates who you are because obviously if I ask a question about skydiving, then it probably means I like to go skydiving myself or else why would I ask the question? You're also doing a really good job of communicating again these very personal important qualities and you're getting those across to the other person quickly but without without in a way where you're just telling them you know it's, it's kind of boring to just go up hey i really like cooking and skydiving but instead you know ask them their own questions their own feelings on it it also gives you an opportunity to talk about that interest and give them validation if 90 percent of the people that you meet on the street don't like the certain style of like french cinema and that's important to you and you ask it then immediately you can be like wow you know normally when i talk to people they don't even know what i'm talking about but it's so cool that you're into this so you're giving them some support and validation you're giving them a reason that you're interested in them Besides, oh, I thought you looked cute and I'm just desperate, so I'm willing to accept anybody off the street. So Nick, you were saying that qualification is actually 90% of the first 15 minutes, even though it only covers the first three minutes. Did you want to say more about that? The reason in kind of my timeline that it takes up the three minutes after... And by the way, these, I know that it seems really weird to have these times set up for a conversation that is very organic in nature. Mm -hmm. And there certainly is a lot of variability in these things. And I also think that there's a lot of other qualities of like flirting, being, um, you know, having this kind of push pull and this kind of fun aspect and a little bit of teasing that are all kind of important. And I'm kind of assuming that those are part of the conversation, but that's not necessarily the content of what you're talking about. The problem with like teasing is people can get into 15 minutes of banter and then the person walks away going oh wow that person was really great at banter but i have no idea what they're about or who they are so the reason that i say it's 90 percent is that it just gets across not only that you know what you're looking for and who you are but it also gets across that you can actually lead the conversation and that you've had enough experience approaching strangers and having this type of conversation that you actually know how to get these qualities out there early so you don't spend a bunch of time you know wasted in, in small talk and these other things so let's say you now you're about five minutes into the conversation give or take this is a really good point even if you started the conversation by mentioning that you just thought they looked cute and wanted to come say hi, or you thought they looked interesting, or you thought they had a good energy, it's now a good point to kind of solidify, especially in the first couple of seconds, even if somebody has a girlfriend or has a boyfriend, they might not bring it up. So now's a good time to clarify your intentions by having a statement that kind of gets across that this is a, you know, this conversation is obviously about date. One of the ways I like to do that personally is by asking, are you single? I usually try to time it after they've said something that I could kind of be 
seen as misconstruing as them being interested in me or hitting on me. So when I ask it, it's like I'm responding to a signal that they sent. So I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Are you single? Like it's news to me. There's a lot of ways to do this. You can also make it very playful and be like, so what's your situation? Do you have like four different boyfriends? <laughs> Maybe you've got the bodybuilder or the rich one or the nerd. And you just kind of like to have like a smorgasbord of men. I knew this guy who, uh, he was seeing multiple women. He would spend different nights of the week at different houses. And I said, so which, yeah. where, where do you actually live? He says, I don't live anywhere. I just got I have a house where I get my mail. I, it's interesting. I know a, a magician in Hawaii, even though he has a bank account and does magic shows and he does have like a small place to keep most of his supplies and stuff but his preferred lifestyle is to actually live you know essentially on the beach near the resorts and then approach women that are vacationing and then stay at their hotel room uh usually you know if they're there for a little bit less than a week then he kind of goes in rotation you spending most of his nights at some resort i mean if not then he just you know crashes on the beach genius or slime ball definitely not a slime ball he's a very genuine i mean he's honest with everybody that he talks to about what his lifestyle's like yeah he's a great person it's just kind of his lifestyle he's just so when you throw out that kind of statement, you're doing a lot of things. You're clarifying the frame of the interaction. You're clarifying that this is kind of this potentially romantic slash sexual vibe. And it also gives you the opportunity to bring up the topic in conversation of dating because maybe this person doesn't like to date. Maybe they're the, like a serial monogamous that goes from two-year relationship to two-year relationship. Maybe they really like casual stuff, but you don't know any of that unless you actually talk about it. The flip side of that is they don't know that about you uh, unless you bring it up. Once once you've kind of clarified that they're single or at least available, then you can kind of get into, you know, so what, so what are you normally looking for? Like what's your typical MO, like what's your dating MO? And you can kind of talk a little bit about what you're looking for and you don't have to go into super detail in the same way you would on a first date. It's good just to set the frame that you're kind of on the same page talking about the same thing. From there, I always spend the first kind of section on the first three, four minutes on qualifiers on these platonic qualifiers, which I would say are things that you could ask a friend or family member. You you know, do you like to cook? That's obviously a question you can ask anybody. And then the next section, I might go back to a platonic qualifier, but then I also have these kind of sexual qualifiers, which are not, a, again, about sex, but just romantic things that you would only ask somebody you're interested in dating. You know, that could be a question of how often would you like to see somebody? Are you the jealous type is certainly getting into the aspect of whether or not they're open to more, seeing more people. Or they could be even more specific. Like I know somebody who has a very strong uh, heel a fetish. And it's kind of important to them that anybody they meet is going to be open to that. Without asking them to agree to anything, they'll definitely bring up, so do you wear a lot of heels? And they'll they'll usually kind of think like, that's kind of a weird question, but they'll usually answer it. And then it'll kind of go into detail. Oh, well, I actually have this thing. It's kind of a big part for me. And it's you know important to me that anybody I meet is going to be open to something like that. You'd be really surprised when you bring things like that up comfortably and confidently, then people are very open to having that conversation early on. I, I remember I was having a, a conversation not too long ago, and it was around the same time as the uh, up your alley or the door, kind of a uh, kink fetish style, kind of like Folsom Street Fair light because it's in a little alleyway. It just happened to be mentioned that's what I was doing like that weekend with this person who previously had just said that they worked uh, at a bank uh, and the conversation up to that point had just been kind of a little bit of small talk. Immediately, all of a sudden, we were talking about fetishes and we were talking about some of the things that she was into. It was much more of a productive conversation than, yeah, than if we had been talking about, you know, the weather. So when I talk about qualifiers, I usually advocate people have two to three different ways to get into those qualifier topics. Like, I don't think you should always just ask, are you this quality? That can come across um, a little bit pushy, but it's also, it's not as easy to segue. I'll give you a couple examples. So one option is a direct question, which we've covered. The next is a news article or, or scientific study. You know, there was recently this long news article that uh, millennials are having like the least amount of sex than like any other generation for like the past hundred years. Uh, but really you can find a study or magazine article on basically wh whatever topic you're interested in. And you can just mention like, oh, I was reading this thing. Had 
Had you heard about it? What were your thoughts on that? And you can kind of launch into your own thoughts. Also, you can use a personal story from your past. If you, you know, again, have a story related to the topic, bring it up. You tell your personal story. You can kind of ask for their feedback. And all of a sudden, you're kind of talking about that quality you were talking about. Next is uh, a friend story. Sometimes a story has happened to your friend. Maybe you just don't want it to be about you personally. Like, I know somebody who's really into, personally, I'm a lifelong skeptic, but they're really into horoscopes and astrology. They kind of don't want to, you know, be too direct with it. So they'll say, oh, my friend was in this relationship. It turned out the guy she was dating bought this like love spell kit thing and like <laughs> cast or had like a witch or somebody cast a spell on them. But like, you know, it turns out they got married shortly after. Wow. You, you know, do you think that could have worked or is it just fake? And like, it's a good way to bring up the topic, in, you know, in a fun way. Just and, by using and do you want to try some of this powder, right? Yes. Put this in your coffee. Other things can be like fun games. Um, if you can kind of come up with a game to play, you could play Two Truths Than a Lie. Uh, you could play like a question game where you go back and forth asking questions. One area is this kind of psychological assessment things that are not really based, based on science. But uh, I'll give you an example. A really, really popular one that went around in the news is about the cube which is this idea that you visualize a cube and then you visualize like a ladder and a, and a landscape and then you kind of use that to tell qualities about the person. But you can also make that question, you know, you can make that question about one of the topics, one of the personality things that you're interested in. By feeding it back to them in the context of a game, you can get their own opinion and their own kind of self-view on it. Okay. So there's lots of different ways to kind of lead into these qualities. Uh -huh. And by having two to three different ways. So I would say if you, you know, if you have a quality like cooking, have a personal story, have a news article, have a direct question. You'll be confident that you can always get into that topic whenever you want. Kind of recapping for where we're at, you do 30 seconds to a minute of small talk, three to four minutes of kind of these platonic qualifiers. You have a statement of interest or you kind of talk a little bit about dating and the you know uh, logistics and or the practical aspects of it. Then you jump into another three to five minutes of these kind of uh, more sexual romantic qualifiers. And now you're in the home stretch. You're about 12, 10 to 12 minutes in. You're in your last three to five minutes. Now you need to see if they're interested and actually go about the process of setting up a date. So the thing that most people do, they don't really want to get rejected. They want to spend as little time on it as possible. And they'll say something like, oh, we should hang out sometime. Give me your number. Or, oh, we should grab coffee. Give me your number. Mistake. Very huge mistake. Why? One is thing is that it's, it's really easy for somebody who doesn't actually want to hang out with you or give you coffee to give you a number or a fake number. The other thing is that it's a big psychological jump to go from meeting some strange person on the street to actually making plans uh -huh. because you know, people are really hesitant to make firm plans, especially if there's kind of these unknown aspects that are floating. They'll give themselves a lot of reasons not to show up. Also, you know, you've got to not cancel any other plans that night. You got to get dressed up. You got to go through the whole rigmarole. You got to make sure your place is kind of clean. Like most people, when they're going on a first date, it's, you know, it's a big deal. So acknowledging the fact that it is a big deal to go from stranger to a date, you want to spend a little bit more time to make sure that you're as effective as you can be. And, I, and that process I like, I like to call, it's not my term, but it's called time bridging. The reason it's called time bridging is because you are bridging from the present to the future. So you're bridging from the time that you're together now, just having met on the street, to the time when you're going to be showing up together at the location of the first date. And you're kind of skipping over that section in between where you're not together. When you visualize something, it's like you actually are doing it. It's the mind-body connection. If you visualize that you're out on a sunny, you know, summer day, like a from your memory of like being on the lake, sometimes your body temperature will actually go up. You'll become a little bit happier and you'll just have more of those positive feelings because you're visualizing something. The way we kind of use that is by removing any uncertainty and fear around meeting up by kind of talking through the process. So half of that is the uh, logistics of how you'll actually meet up. And then the other half is the actual sensory visualization of what it'll be like and where you're going to be. An example for the logistics, finding out are they in the same area? What is their kind of weekly schedule? Are they a student? Do they work nights, Monday, Wednesday, Friday? So Tuesday, Thursday would be a better day to meet up. What nights are good for you? What's your schedule? Are you really busy during the week? If you get out of class at 6.30, do you need to run home and change? Or can you come straight from class? And you're kind of like figuring out all of the potential pitfalls about how you would actually get together. And you can say where you're going to go. You don't have to say a specific place, but you know, going to a coffee shop is different from going to a bar is different from going to 
like a poetry reading. Personally, I advocate first date spots to be about a 10 to 15 minute walk or drive from your place at a place that's quiet enough for you to have a conversation and an activity that won't prevent you from having a conversation. You know, rock climbing, playing pool can be good, but sometimes those activities can kind of get in the way of the conversation. And I'm really like going to a movie is terrible for a first date because you just spend all your time staring at a screen. There's another reason why I generally don't like to advocate dinner because you know you're kind of shoving food in your face and there's also a table between you i mean i think you mentioned to me once that you like sitting next to somebody yeah if there's a booth i always sit next to somebody or at a square table i set catty corners that kind of because there's this kind of weird space where the person can choose to kind of sit kind of closer to you if they want or kind of push away and kind of turn in their stool and kind of yeah yeah put their knees between you and in them yeah i want to be in a situation where our knees can kind of bump into one another which should so happen <laughs> Going back to the time bridge, did we get to the point yet where you specifically say, okay, let's let's do it. Let's go out. Did that happen yet? Yeah, so, that, so that's happened. You can kind of get the logistics kind of through out the conversation, but normally you'll say something like, wow, I haven't, it's not often that I meet somebody who you know, liked this quality and like cooking and like skydiving yeah. and was, you know, into heels can you just can you combine skydiving and cooking in heels you definitely can it's kind of an interesting visual isn't it well it, but think about this you kind of already if you if you picture somebody bringing up those questions you kind of already have a picture of what that person might be like right Let's say we're jumping out of a plane i know what i'm wearing but yeah. how is the food i guess you could have <laughs> it would probably so, be a souvle sous vide thing where you, oh yeah you're, you're doing it one of the bags yeah you can sous vide on the way down you can sous vide on the way down <laughs> yeah so you've kind of brought up that like Hey, like I, I, I've got a, I've got a run or I've got this thing. And I, I should mention if you've determined in the conversation that you both have like the next 45 minutes free, spend the next 45 minutes together. Some people call those, um, insta dates or like instant dates where because you both have like an hour or two free, you just hang out. That's great if you can do it. The time bridge should only come up when you've both determined, well, one of you has to go to a meeting. One of you has got to get meet, meet up with your friends, you know, whatever. You've kind of said, hey, I wanna, I, I'd like to continue this and let's figure out whether or not we can get together. So you start going through the logistics. You start going through, do they live an hour away? When are, What nights are good? Whether they meet at a coffee shop versus a bar. Then you ideally bring up a specific spot and start asking them to kind of visualize just through your own description what the place is like. So if it's a bakery, be like, oh, there's these, they've got really good pastries and it kind of like smells of bread in there. But they also have like all these like slow roast coffees that fill the air. And there's like some nice outdoor seating. It's like there's some plants outside and there's like a little bit of shade. But have you ever been to any, let's say this is on like Valencia Street. Have you yeah. ever been to Valencia Street or know that area? It's cool because there's a little, you know, ice cream shop around the corner and a park nearby. So they can visualize it and suddenly they're comfortable even though they're not at the place. They can, they're ahead. And they're also picturing it there with you so it, right and so it's and, not much of a it's a bridge yeah it's a bridge i see okay and and during this whole process one of the reasons that i think it's really important the person who has no intention of going on a date with you and says yeah here's my number we should meet up sometime on the female side there are a lot of really good reasons to not reject a guy especially a stranger on the street to not guys, reject yeah because if you reject them they might get violent oh i see, I see. right they might get abusive sure. they might they'll oftentimes just be immediately get insulting right a lot of guys are kind of bitter about this of like oh well why couldn't she just reject me and like they don't really understand the realities of Got what it. it's like okay you know to be a woman i actually one of my fears is that i don't like making women feel uncomfortable yeah. like i don't like putting a woman on the spot in yeah. public and i don't want to put her in that emotional position of going oh what do i do sure like i just don't like that that thought that is a, a common fear partially it's about trusting your own communication skills and trusting your own intuition and usually if somebody is very uncomfortable they there's outward signs that they're uncomfortable some people just have rbf resting resting bitch face oh okay like uh, me i have that so, so so it's usually good to clarify but if you're getting that signal to say hey uh you seem uncomfortable how are you feeling right now and you can kind of bring it up and talk about it but the point is like if you get to the point especially if you get into time bridging you're you're well past the point where they've been engaging there's been yeah. a lot of eye contact there's been a lot of good positive vibes so this process of time bridging really brings out any potential objections they have if they think oh well you know this is really fast you know wh whatever type of objections they might have they'll normally bring them up because the person who will agree to go to coffee with you will at some point in the process of visualizing the coffee place talking about how they'll get there from work talking about all these different aspects people generally don't want to visualize something they don't have plans of actually doing 
So it's like it'll be you'll notice that it'll be really hard for them to visualize these questions when they're not actually planning on doing it. And that's good. Sometimes, a lot of times, actually, there will actually be like two or three kind of unspoken objections. Uh-huh. that if you talk about them, you can handle them in person and then the person's totally willing to go on a date. But if you don't talk about them because you just ask for their number, yeah. they never get brought up. And those things will actually tank you and will stop the date from happening. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of communication and well, bringing that, these things up. Well, that also harkens back to the re- removal ambiguity piece that you spoke of in a previous episode like if you're not really sure if someone seems like they're uncomfortable well find out exactly ask them and i'll even call this out while i'm talking to them. i'll be like hey you seem a little bit unsure you know just let's forget it and i'll say because I, I don't want to even do this unless you're 100 percent like enthusiastic about you know like that you actually want to do this and how do they usually respond some people will be like yeah i'm actually i'm in a weird place in my life right now I'm not really sure. Some people will kind of seem like they're on the fence. And then after having that conversation, they're like, no, wait, I don't want to, I don't want to lose this opportunity. (laughs) I don't want to like send the wrong signal to you. So yes, they'll kind of go from being on the fence to being, yes, I'm interested. So now that you've kind of gotten through that, you've visualized how you're going to get together. You should also talk a little bit about how you're going to handle the texting part. Let's say it's a Thursday and let's say you're making rough plans for like next Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. You say, hey, uh, so I'm going to text you maybe like Sunday, Sunday, Monday during the day, and then we can figure out which night works next week. Is that cool? And you're setting up the expectation of when you're going to text them. So it's not this big question. I'm a huge proponent of generally keeping most of the texting to kind of logistics and just the meeting up part and not trying to have a very long, in-depth, back-and-forth conversation over text. I'm personally very comfortable with my you know, so-called texting skills. And I feel decent that it works well for me. But for a lot of people, it's usually just an opportunity to shoot yourself in the foot by saying the wrong thing. You know, in person, if you if you slightly say the wrong thing, you'll get a micro expression from the person. You can clarify, you can explain what you meant, and you can also get a read of what to say based on their emotional situation. The problem with the text is even if when you send the text, the person happens to be really, really happy, they might not read it for two hours after they just got yelled at by their boss. And then all of a sudden they're reading your joking text, feeling really, really bad because they just got yelled at. And that emotional state kind of maps onto your text. I think it's a really risky medium to try to you know, conduct a romantic relationship over. In the world of dating, I tend to keep texting to logistics only. Whenever the banter would start, it was like, oh, not a good sign. Because yeah. it's like they're, they're actually more invested in the banter, which means they're less interested in the actual date than they are in just whatever the frick this is. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a wide spectrum of how people kind of interact with it. Some people do kind of feel like I need to have... Like I need to see if we're compatible texting, if that's so, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I think in general, less is more. So you've kind of described how you're going to text them, when you're going to text them, what you're going to text them about. You've described the place. You've kind of gone through all that. So at that point, it should be very easy for them to be like, yes, I'm agreeing to these plans. And you say, great, let's, you know, let's exchange numbers. I always like to, you know, get their number and then call and immediately. So they have, you know, the missed call on your phone. And then you can continue talking for a little bit. I don't like to just get the number and leave. I think it can be a little bit abrupt. Mm -hmm. So after you get the number, kind of recap some of the other things you talked about. Mm -hmm. Maybe talk a little bit about more of your day. You do a little bit more situational stuff. And, you know, ultimately you can end with either a hug, a handshake, or, you know, you can just say, you look forward to meeting them soon and Mm -hmm. kind of just go on your way. Okay, cool. And I normally do, I think it's pretty standard to text them within the next 20 minutes, an hour, just saying, hey, this is Nick, you know, had a great time running into you and mentioned like one or two kind of callback humor things or things that out of the conversation. And that's 15 minutes. Boy. Uh, I think personally that this was like kind of after you built these skill sets, but just so you know, like what's a good target, you can get about 90% response of people who are kind of agreeing to the date and giving you their number to actually showing up on the date. That number will sound high to a lot of people who have to deal with flaking, who have to deal with you know conversations that never go anywhere. And that's generally a sign that they are taking the number before they've hooked the other person, before there's really a connection there, or taking the number when the person has no intention of really showing up. You know, Ideally, after 15 minutes, the person is invested enough to like actually want to go on the date with you. So as an aside, I noticed that while we were talking, I started doing the leg bounce mm-hmm. and I started feeling this tightness in my chest and I thought is that I had too much caffeine today 
And I realize I'm actually having some pretty high anxiety just talking to you about this. It's actually really like I'm, I'm getting anxious. Like I'm never going to meet anybody. I can't meet people in the street. I can't do all these things. Yeah. I can't. I can't make small talk and then 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 ask a qualifying question and, and and introduce the sexual stuff and the time bridge and do all the tone stuff and relax my vocal cords yeah. and do the right thing with my fucking hands. And so I'm actually feeling it's overwhelming. I'm I'm actually feeling really really anxious right now just talking to you like really like a tightness in my chest and my throat like fuck man I'm fucked just I can't do it you know yeah. I can't do it I can't do it I can't do it and so I just thought I'd express that to you in kind of its raw form one of the things I always say is that discomfort is like a lighthouse it kind of it's showing you where growth is possible oh. and I think this is a good example of that the things that are making you uncomfortable especially physically uncomfortable are usually the very things that are important for you to kind of work on and think about yeah. and have that growth um, that's really common don't get me wrong like I know that for most people listening this sounds almost alien it sounds so far out of their normal reality that it seems like unattainable. You know, you work on it piece by piece, you work on it little by little, and it is something that takes months and potentially years. It's like if you heard a concert pianist play and then were like asked to go up and just hit the keys like them. Like you don't have the time put in, you haven't had all those hours failing. Well, not only that, but you're afraid that you're going to go up there and the piano's going to explode and you're going to die. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, that's a common fear. And this is actually what runs through people's heads that stops them from actually going up and talking to somebody. Because all of this, these like years of anxiety and fear and repression all kind of bubble up. And that's what stops you from taking that first step uh -huh. towards the person. There's a rule. It's called the three-second rule. Uh -huh. And it, it essentially just means don't give yourself time to get in your own head and stop yourself from approaching. It's what it means that when you see somebody, maybe they you overheard them say something, they flat, maybe you had eye contact with them, or they just looked, something about them looked very interesting to you, that within three seconds of seeing them, you start walking towards them. Yeah, that them. makes me even more anxious to hear you say that. You just don't think about it. Now, the thing is that you say you can't do it, but look, it's just moving it's just walking which you do and it's it's walking and opening your mouth it's just putting one well, foot in front of the other yeah, and then I, at some point you run out of runway and you can't keep walking forward and then you're and then at that point they've recognized you and at that point you just say hey well yeah but look anybody can i mean i can walk off a gangplank into the pacific ocean off of a boat yeah. i mean yeah anyone can physically do that but the exactly as an introvert and as you know someone who's a little bit nuts himself like <laughs> I promise you, you have the ability. I believe you, Nick. I believe that I have the ability, but I also believe that the amount of anxiety, stress, and just internal pain that I would experience uh, partaking in that ability would be, you know, is there an adjective for having an aneurysm? <laughs> aneurysm aneurysmistic? <laughs> that's, no, that's actually a really good point. So a lot of people labor under this misperception that they have to become comfortable something before they do it. They think, I have all this fear, anxiety, and I have all these issues with this. And my, my step to accomplish this goal is I've got to figure out through therapy, through reading books, through all these different aspects, I've got to figure out a way that I can feel comfortable with it. I can feel like anxious and then I'll do it. That's kind of like the software that most people are operating under. They, they wait until at some point in the future, it'll be fixed. The thing is that never happens. That's why people will read self-help books for decades without actually implementing any of the advice because they're constantly looking for this kind of internal change within themselves that will then they can give themselves permission to do these things and they'll feel comfortable doing them. It just doesn't happen. The, the, the key, the secret is feeling really uncomfortable, feeling really anxious, feeling like you're, you're going to get an aneurysm and your heart's going to explode and just deciding to do it anyway. It's making the choice that if I want these things in my life, and that could be starting a job, it could be starting a business, it could be whatever. If I want you know, to have successful dating life and I want to have these strong connections and I want to have fun and I want to have all these things, then I need to 
start by approaching people. And when you approach it like that, you realize that you can actually approach somebody with all of that fear, all of that discomfort, all of that anxiety, and still have successful conversations coming out of it. Change always comes after the fact. Change comes from you doing it, seeing it's not a big deal, and then you realize, oh, I can actually be more comfortable with this. But you never get comfortable before you do it. That's just not how, I don't think that's how life generally works. Okay. So approach first, figure it out later. Wow. All right. Well, this has been an elucidating um, session, sir. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? I think everybody should think about the first 15 minutes. Think about how are they differentiating themselves from everybody else? Mm -hmm. Because if you just approach somebody on the street and you do small talk, they don't really know that you're any different from every other person they've ever talked to. Mm -hmm. So you need to include as much meat and potatoes, mm -hmm. these things that are deep and personal to you specifically these things that actually will screen out. Hopefully it's even better if they screen out 90% of the people you ask the question. Mm -hmm. Like ideally you should get 90% no's and only 10% yeses because mm -hmm. that makes it even that more powerful that you have this connection. And you should make sure that you use every single second of those first 15 minutes to get across who you are, what you're looking for, and that you have a good idea of not only who you are, but how to communicate it. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to future episodes with you, sir. Thanks. Thank you for listening. As always, pertinent information stemming from this podcast, including links and other resources, are available in the episode notes. Should you have any questions, feedback, or wish to be a guest on my podcast, I can be reached at benjaminrusick at gmail.com. That's B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N-R-U-S-S-A-C-K at gmail.com. You can also reach me by going to my website at benjaminrusick.com. I also strongly encourage you to subscribe, like, leave comments, and all the rest. Thanks again, and remember, if your plate is full, sometimes you need to scrape a few things off to the side, and sometimes you just need a bigger plate.